So when we were in language and culture study, most of you know that we spent a number of years in uh, the People's Republic of China doing mission work. Uh, well, the first two to three years we spent in full-time language and culture study, which means we went to class, we spent time with locals, we spent a lot of effort uh, learning their language, but also trying to understand, get inside their head and know what it was like to be them, the way that they thought. And many times we were frustrated when we felt like the progress we were making wasn't as fast as we would have liked. Now, my wife remembers this better than I do, but there was a time when I was having a conversation with a Chinese gentleman in our complex, and there, there comes a point where you get so frustrated with not understanding people that you're just responding with whatever comes to mind. You start responding with whatever comes to mind. So my guess was that he was asking me, because most people did, how many children do you have? Because they see our kids and they smile and they would give us thumbs up and say, how many kids do you have? Well, apparently, unbeknownst to me, he had asked me um, this question, you know, do, do you have any kids? Well, I misunderstood. I, so, and, I, and I didn't understand. I was, I, it was one of those times where it's like, I'm going to respond because I'm so tired of people seeing that, fit, that look on my face when I don't understand. And then they would say, oh, he doesn't understand and leave. So I, I responded very confidently. You know, you get, you get a fake until you make it, right? I responded very confidently, no, I don't have a dog. <laughs> and so then, of course, he got that puzzled look on his face and, and walked away saying, the foreigner doesn't understand. And he was right. But I tried, you know. You know, while in training, our mentors assured us that not only was it necessary, this season of learning, that it was necessary for us to put in our time, but this was also a great opportunity to connect with local people. Because bumbling foreigners are much less threatening and can even be endearing as they stumble from one gap to the next. Many times we wanted to hit the eject button on the time of learning and to get on to the more important work. But our mentors again assured us that the time and effort put in on the front end would be well worth it. And they were right. So what about you? Have you ever gotten a gift that you struggled to be thankful for? Anybody? Want to give an example? Incriminate somebody else? Okay, so we've all gotten gifts that we struggle to be thankful for. When I think about unwanted gifts, I almost always, you know, recollect back to that famous movie, The Christmas Story, where Ralphie comes down the stairs covered in head to toe in that pink bunny suit. That I think it was either his aunt or his grandma made for him. And he was really struggling to be thankful for the gift. Or how about this? Have you ever heard this statement from your parents? I know you don't like this now, son, daughter, but one day you'll thank me, right? One day you'll thank me. Who's ever said that to your children? <laughs> Be honest. I, I've done it. I've done it. In this series, Thanks a Lot, we're going to talk about things that we learn to be thankful for. These are gifts in disguise. At first, we respond like a child with a full slate of homework, right? We say, teacher... Thanks a lot. But years, yeah, right, long weekend. But years later, when we're able to leverage our education to serve and to grow, we're able to say and look back and say with gusto, thanks a lot. That really helps. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 18, and we're going to take a look at a gift that Moses received in his stocking disguised as a responsibility. Exodus chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. This is after they've been led out of Egypt, and they're out in the desert in the middle of nowhere. 
And here's how the situation develops. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law, Jethro, received her and her two sons. So we, we see here that when Mo Moses went to Egypt, he took his whole family. And that's a lot of confidence, right? What he was going there to do, he took his wife and kids with him. And so he's now sent them away to, to be with father-in-law. One son was named Gershom for Moses, said, I have become an alien in a foreign land. And the other was named Eleazar, for he said, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the desert where he was encamped near the mountain of God. Jethro had sent word to him, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons. So maybe Moses is a little bit concerned now because dad-in-law's coming. Maybe out of trouble. Maybe not. Okay? Verse 7. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. So Moses tells the story of what God has done. If you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, God did something incredible. He took the world's superpower at the time and brought it to its knees. You know, Pharaoh's heart became hardened. He became arrogant and God humbled him and released <coughs> The captives. So that's the story that Moses was telling. Then picking up in verse 9. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel and rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and of Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who had treated Israel arrogantly. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of the Lord. So Jethro praises God. You know, Jethro's a religious man, Scripture says. He was a priest himself. He was not unfamiliar with worship and the, and the concept of God's. But after hearing first-hand accounts from his daughter and now seeing the evidence for himself, he concludes that God is greater than all other gods. This is a huge win for Team God. But now what? Huh? There is this huge group of people out in the desert who've already shown signs of insurrection and rebellion. Exodus 17.4 says, Then Moses cried out to the Lord. This is the preceding chapter. What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And if you're familiar with the story of the Exodus, the following two things are clear at this point. God has a plan. He prophesied about it 400 years before it happened, and then he executed it. He's rescued his people. He's taken them out, and he's taking them to the promised land. So God has a plan. And number two, that God has designed a role for Moses to play in it. I mean, think about Moses' life. He was a slave. His life was in danger. He was put in a basket. He was adopted by the princess. So the slave turned prince. Then he became a criminal and goes out to the desert. Too much comes together for that to be circumstantial. And now he's led his people to victory. So God has a plan. He's designed a role for Moses to play in it. And so God has made it clear that he has great plans in the future 
for Israel. But what are they to do in the meantime? Think about their situation. I mean, they have to live. They have to eat. They're in the desert. There's no Burger King. You know, there's no 7-Eleven. And they're going to need some form of governance. Think of all these people. Do you know how many people it was? Scholars think it was about 2.4 million people out of the desert. And God has a plan, and Moses has a role in it. But now what does Moses do? So here's Moses' stopgap solution in verse 13 for providing this needed leadership in administration. He keeps it real simple. The next day, verse 13, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. So what's Moses' solution for managing this 2.4 million people? It's him, right? Okay, I'll do this. I'll take care of this. I'll handle it myself. And I'll sit from morning to night and deal with people's issues. Sounds like a fun job, doesn't it? What a, what a great opportunity. Who's going to sign up for that one? Morning till night, dealing with issues. So as someone who had not only been called by God, but who had directed with God, interact, interacted with God directly, and was his mouthpiece, Moses was the obvious choice for this role. Who else was going to fill those shoes? And so I would submit to you first that Moses is gifted an opportunity by God that's disguised as a responsibility. He's gifted an opportunity disguised as a responsibility. In other words, responsibility is in itself an opportunity. Now, how many of us tend to view it that way? How do we view responsibility? Is it like a fun thing? I mean, when you're, before you leave the house, when you're a teenager, is, is it fun to have responsibility? What does that mean? Chores. Get a job, you know. That's not a lot of fun. But I would submit to you that opportunity often comes disguised as responsibility. Sometimes we labor under the misconception that the goal is to become people without responsibility, right? What do we typically want to do? Win the lottery, right? Then I won't answer to anybody. Then I'll have plenty of money. So if we get to a point where we have enough money or we have the right position or we maybe get to a certain age, then we can become unresponsible and just lay it all down and live however we choose. But the truth is that unresponsible or irresponsible people, they live unfulfilled lives. Just ask them. I mean, in fact, if I'm living just for me, I'm not living for much, right? So this responsibility that Moses has been given by God is actually a great opportunity if he handles it well. Verse 14. When Moses... When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is it you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone as judge while all these people stand around you from morning until evening? So Jethro sees immediately what Moses doesn't see. You know, I attended a junior-senior in college. Y'all still do those? You remember that? Did a junior-senior, went to a little event... Um, and I decided to go with a, a new hairstyle. And um, so what I did was I actually took my hair and I parted it right down the middle. And it was longer, so it kind of flowed over the top. And, and I'm glad my kids aren't here. It sounds great, right? So I'm glad my kids aren't here, but they, they saw this photo a couple of weeks ago, and, and you should have seen their faces. Their eyes got real big. Can and we they, see that photo? 
I didn't bring it today. I'll bring it next week. Hold me to then. But it was awful. I mean, it was the most abominable hairstyle you can imagine. And I had this ridiculous grin on my face with my hair parted right down the middle. And, you know, how come nobody told me, right? I mean, somebody, when they saw me, immediately said to themselves, what is he thinking? I mean, this, is, this, this photo is going to go down in infamy for the rest of his life. So why couldn't I see it? Better than now? Oh, thanks now. So why couldn't I see it? You know, when you and I look at someone else's problems, it all looks pretty straightforward, right? I mean, I can see your problem pretty clearly. As clearly as you can see mine. So why is it so complicated when they're my problems? So we, we see this important truth about God's role in this story. God has a plan, and he has designed the role for Moses to play in it. But God doesn't fill in all the blanks. Moses, right? Now, Moses sees the situation. He knows he's responsible. And the best he can come up with is to do it all himself. And he doesn't see that that's a problem. Isn't it frustrating for you and I when God doesn't fill in all the blanks? We know that God has a plan. We know that God's at work. We know that he's designed a role for us to play in it. But he doesn't fill in the blanks. Come on, God, you know? Make it crystal clear. But the truth is, is there's a big difference between taking responsibility and following instructions. What's the difference? Do you grow up when you're just following instructions? What happens when somebody stops giving instructions? Nobody knows what to do. So God is allowing space. He's refusing to fill in the blanks so that Moses will learn a lesson, which he's about to learn. Verse 15. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me, and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and God's laws. So what's he saying? I'm doing God's work. But what's he not saying? I'm the only one that can do this, right? Come on, Jethro. You know how God's used. You know the position that I have. You know the responsibility that I have. I'm the only one who's qualified to do this. And so Moses has a lesson to learn. You know, Moses is afraid to abdicate responsibility. And that's a good thing, right? Couldn't we take a few more folks being willing to take responsibility? But it doesn't stop there. Is there a way for Moses to go beyond taking responsibility to sharing it? If you're playing on a sports team where someone is taking more responsibility than is appropriate while competing, you ever been the role player and you've got the star who wants the ball every time and never passes? It's frustrating. You just feel like you're just playing a bit part in somebody else's story. And that's not the way it's designed because what happens is the other team figures out who the top dog is and they double team him or they blitz or whatever and they shut him down and then there's no answer. Because you've gotten into the habit of taking all the responsibility on yourself. Verse 17. So this is what Moses is in danger of. And it's going to wear him out. And that's exactly what's about to be pointed out. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, What you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. Because, you know, they're not going to be happy. Waiting in those long lines. And Moses isn't going to be happy. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it 
alone. He's saying your leadership's not sustainable. You can't keep this up. And your leadership's not scalable. You're not going to be able to satisfy everybody. So secondly, when we don't handle opportunity well, it will begin to feel like a burden. Right? We have responsibility. It's an opportunity. We start mishandling it, and then we feel frustrated. We feel like we want to be done with it. Because it's become a burden. And that's what's happening to Moses. You know, there was a time in Moses' life when the burden was so heavy, he wanted nothing more than to be relieved of it. Numbers chapter 11, verses 14 and 15. He had another discouraging experience with these complaining folks. He says, God, I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now. If I found favor in your eyes, kill me. And do not let me face my own ruin. So this is a man who's struggling with responsibility. And so when we don't handle our responsibilities well, we instinctively want to be relieved of them, right? I pitched one time in Little League. It was infamous. So I was begging the coach to let me in, and I remember warming up on the sideline, and then I got in the game, and I walked three consecutive batters to load the bases. Could not throw a strike. And then I finally threw a strike, or maybe it was outside, I don't know, and somebody hit it right back to me. And I threw the best pitch I'd, ever, I'd thrown that night, and the catcher dropped it. <laughs> and so I began pleading with my eyes for the coach to take me out, which he did, and my, and my pitching career ended. So when, the point is, is when we don't handle our responsibilities, well, we want somebody to, to relieve us of responsibility, right? And that's what's happened with Moses. And, you know, there may be some things that you and I are carrying, right? Some responsibilities that you and I are carrying that God's not asking us to carry. But there are other things that we dare not lay down. These are the things that if we don't do, won't get done. And, you know, this is a pivotal point in the history of Israel. What started out as a triumphal departure and a testimony to God's greatness could quickly descend into chaos and be a black mark on God's reputation. So walking away isn't really an option here for Moses. He's stuck with these folks. So he's going to have to find new ways to deal with the responsibility. And so Jethro gives him some really good advice. Verse 19. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. And I believe there's some good advice for us here today as well. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them the decrees and laws and show them the way to live and the duties they are to perform. So teach. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. So what does Jethro say? He said, instead of you just doing it, doing it, doing it, Moses, right? Got to do it. Got to take responsibility. Got to handle this every day, no days off. Maybe, maybe he had the Sabbath off. But I suspect he was exhausted on the Sabbath. So firstly, Jethro says, number one, teach them. Teach them. Don't just make decisions for them. Teach them so they can think, 
so they can self-manage. Teach them the word. Teach them the principles. You know, the old saying goes that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. A pound of cure. What does that mean? Teach them. Tell them what, what God expects. Tell them, tell them stories about what God is like, your experiences with Him. Teach them so they can think, so they can self-manage and prevent these problems that you're dealing with from morning to night. Secondly, He says, show them. Be an example so they know what it looks like to walk with God. Symbolic leadership is powerful. You know, people don't do what they hear. People do what they see. So Moses can teach and Moses can model. But it's going to be tough to do either of those things as he sits in his seat judging issue after issue, sucking the life out of him every single day. He's going to need a new strategy to handle this responsibility that is an opportunity. Jonathan Crane, a sociologist at the University of Illinois, talked about the power of influence and example. has looked at the effect of the number of role models in a community found this study fascinating. The professionals, managers, teachers whom the Census Bureau defined as high status has on the lives of teenagers in the neighborhood. He found little difference in pregnancy rates or school dropout rates in neighborhoods in between 40% and 5% of high status workers. That's saying 40% of the people in a community could be high status, professionals, educators, or 5%. It doesn't matter. As long as it's between 40 and 5%, there's no significant change. And these are the people that are pillars in their community. When it drops below 5%, by one percentage point, the problem's exploded. And so symbolic leadership is important. So Moses has a crucial opportunity, not just to do the work, but to teach people and to model for people, show them. Then also he says, delegate authority. He says, if you delegate authority, Moses, your load's going to be lighter. And people are going to go home satisfied. And you and I aren't good at delegation because we need to feel important, right? And when we finally get an important responsibility, I don't want to give it up. I don't want to hand it off. I want to get it done. I want to to show myself to be capable of responsibility. But we're going to need to go beyond go, go for delegation. That's what Stephen Covey calls it. Go for this, go for that, right? That's the kind of delegation that we're good at. In other words, I need your help. Like, this is too much for me to do. But don't make any decisions without me. Isn't that the kind of, have you ever experienced that kind of delegation with a boss? It's like, I need your help, Mike. But don't you dare make a decision without me. I need your help, Mary, but don't, don't decide anything without me. I, I need to be involved in every little thing. Or else I'm not going to feel very important. So we need to go beyond that. That's what he's saying to Moses. You're going to have to delegate authority. And then finally, verse 24, Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So Moses listens to Jethro's advice. So God uses Jethro to fill in some of the blanks, right? Some of the, the gaps, the things that Moses wasn't seeing. He sees it objectively. He gives him advice. He fills in the blanks. But God uses Jethro just for that role. He doesn't relieve Moses of this opportunity because this is a great chance for Moses to grow and also a chance for God's plans and God's mission to be advanced. So here's a couple final lessons we learned from this passage today. 
Firstly, is that responsibility gives us a chance to serve. You know, when we have responsibility or position, it's tempting to use that to serve ourselves, right? I'm sure you've never met anybody who's leveraged their position for their own benefit, right? That doesn't happen. Not in America, anyway. Maybe somewhere else. But it's tempting to do that, isn't it? Because when you get in that position and people answer to you, and you decide, and you allocate resources, and you hold people accountable. It's tempting to use that just, just to take care of yourself a little bit. But those who are wise use position to serve others, therefore increasing their opportunity. So if Moses had abused his position, he wouldn't have had more opportunity. Had less. There's a famous story about Nelson Mandela, you know, the great uh, social change agent. And uh, years after his difficult experiences of being in prison, he invites a wealthy businessman to his home for, for breakfast. And so the wealthy businessman does what they do over there. He hires somebody, a driver, to drive him to Nelson Mandela's estate. And so he gets out of the car, and he's surprised to find Nelson Mandela standing in the driveway waiting to greet him. And so Mr. Mandela you know, invites him in, but he says, where's that gentleman that came with you? And, and this wealthy businessman says, I don't know what you're talking about. I came here by myself. He said, no, who, who was it that came with you? And he said, oh, you must be talking about the driver. He'll wait in the car. Right? I mean, that, that's his role. But Mr. Mandela just kind of ignores the business, walks over to the car, introduces himself to the driver, asks him his name, and then invites him in to breakfast. And so we see in that story an example of somebody who had incredible influence incredible responsibility and at that point a lot of authority moral authority but he didn't lose sight of the fact that his position his opportunity was to serve and to not forget that this this man just a driver maybe subsisting on the pittance of money each day was a person with value so responsibility gives us a chance to serve we dare not lose sight of that also, responsibility gives us a chance to grow. So we see in this story, the habits and skills that got Moses to this point were not going to be enough going forward, right? His responsibility was increasing, and he was still using basic management techniques. You know, I do it. Here's a problem, I do it. Here's an issue, I solve it. There's a need, I fix it. It's not going to get into where he needs to go. So we need to thank God for responsibility because he uses it to shape our response to him. In fact, people who consistently take responsibility become responsible people. People who are conditioned and ready to respond when their involvement is needed. So you, now what, huh? Now that we've had this nice talk, how can you evaluate your current handling of the responsibilities God has gifted you with. And so the following are three helpful questions uh, when we're uncertain. First of all, what is God asking of me? What is God asking of me and you? What are the things that you dare not lay down? What are the things that are yours to do? One way to help you determine this is to consider whether this is something that can be outsourced. Right? That's a pretty popular concept right now. I'll outsource that. I'll just hire a subcontractor to do that. I don't need to handle that myself. I'll outsource it. So how do we determine if this is something that God's given you personally to handle or to be responsible for? 
Can exercise be outsourced? Can, can, can you hire somebody to exercise? Wouldn't that be nice? Okay, you go exercise for me and then I'll, I'll reap the benefits. Can healthy eating be outsourced? Not really, right? I mean, it, it ends up, I mean, it's you, it's your mouth, it's your hands. What about parenting? Can that be outsourced? We try, right? Have, have a little screen time, right? Go talk to your mother. You know, go, go, go talk to your aunt or uncle. We try, but can parenting really be effectively outsourced? What about financial management? Huh? Can you hire somebody to manage your money? Yeah. But it's your behavior that gets you in trouble. It's not the manager. I mean, the, the, the famous saying is you can't talk your way out of a problem that you behave your way into. And that's, that, that's where we get stuck, right? What about being a good husband or wife? Can you outsource that? Absolutely not. So if your long-term future would be jeopardized by either abdicating or attempting to outsource this responsibility, then you've likely hit on one of these non-negotiable items. So first question, what is God asking of me? Second question, what can I lay down? What can I lay down? Are you carrying something that God has not asked you to carry? Now, some of you folks out there, I know this is you. You're great and you're so helpful and we're so grateful, especially those of us who want to lay down some responsibility because we know you're going to pick it up. You know, I'm going to leave my clothes on the floor because I know mom will take care of it, right? That, I know that never happens. So is this, what can I lay down? Am I enabling someone to lay down something that belongs to them? It's tough, isn't it? But they won't do it, right? That's what we say. If, if, if I don't do it, nobody will. had a heartbreaking story this week. Sweet grandmother. 21-year-old grandson, not at all appreciative, verbally abusive to grandma, doesn't pay a dime toward the bills. And her response was, but if I don't, you'll live under a bridge. So maybe she's carrying something for him. that he needs to carry for himself. So what can I lay down? If an issue passes the first test, right? Then you need to determine if this responsibility can either be abdicated or outsourced. Say, can I lay this down? Can somebody else do this? You know, for instance, if I don't spend time fretting about or watching uh, the remainder of Ohio State's football season, will that jeopardize my long-term future? I, I think I need to. I mean, it, it's really important to me whether or not they win. I, I need to watch every game. But is that really going to affect my long-term future? Probably not. But... If my wife and I, another example, if we opt for screen time over FaceTime, most all the time, is that going to affect our long-term future? You better believe it. Very likely. So what is God asking of me that I cannot lay down? And then what are the things that I can lay down? And then lastly, what can I share? What can I share? Am I carrying something alone that belongs to somebody else? Or, or maybe is somebody carrying my share? Something's out of balance. We need, to call, we need to work together. You know, responsibility is a little bit like investments. When it's spread around evenly, capacity grows. What do I mean by that? If everybody plays part, then not only does more get done, but people grow as individuals. Rather than leaning on the superstar, 
everybody becomes a solid contributor. And a team or a group of solid contributors, the capacity far outweighs one or two superstars or one or two special individuals. So when responsibility spread around, capacity and capability grows. But concentrate it in only a few places and long-term stability is threatened. I mean, as long as Moses is the only guy, what happens if Moses kicks the bucket? They're in a mess. You've got 2.4 million people out in the desert with no leadership and no management. They're going to do what they did when Moses went up on the mountain, huh? Throw a big party and get in trouble. That's what kids do when we leave them alone, huh? I've never been that person. You know, also, if an offense plays poorly the entire first half, what typically happens in the second half, for those of you football fans? How does the defense play? I mean, if the offense, three and out every series for an entire half, how does the defense play in the second half? Exhausted. Wear down, right? That's what Alabama, makes me so mad. Alabama's so good because that's what they do. They wear people out. They just wear them down by the end of the game. It's because it's unbalanced, right? You're leaning too heavily on one group of individuals. It's not balanced. So, you know, Mike Rowe uh, has uh, become pretty popular, um, almost like a philosopher. He did the show Dirty Jobs. He's a real advocate for people not necessarily getting a piece of paper, but maybe doing some trade work and actually doing quite well. But he says, most people don't recognize opportunity because it comes dressed in overalls looks like work. That's a critique of our society. It's a critique of myself. What if we could be people who recognize responsibility as an opportunity to grow? What if we could recognize responsibility as an opportunity to serve? What if we could use burdensome responsibilities as an opportunity to evaluate? If we just say, you know what? My burden feels a little heavy right now. So either one or two things is true. I'm not carrying it well, or maybe I'm carrying something I shouldn't be. Or maybe I'm carrying something alone that I shouldn't be carrying alone. So burdensome responsibilities can give us a chance to evaluate. And maybe I'm not carrying this right, or maybe I shouldn't be carrying this. And then also, when it comes to people that we're responsible to influence, are we teaching, or are we just doing, right? Are we teaching or are we enabling? Are we showing? Are we modeling? Are we just taking care of ourselves? And are we delegating? Not just responsibility, right? Do this, do that. Obey instructions. Let's do the same thing that God did for Moses, huh? God had a plan for Moses. God has a plan for us. God had designed a role for Moses. In your life, you play a pretty important role. But he's not going to fill in the blanks. And that frustrates us. Because we wish, just tell me what to do, God. Don't hand me responsibility. Hand me a list of instructions. I can handle that. Let's not rob ourselves or others of the opportunities that God is calling them to leverage for their own growth. For his glory and for the eternal benefits God, we're so grateful for this story and for what it teaches us. And we're, we're so thankful for Moses' character and that he recognized, God, the importance of what you had asked him to do. 
and that he was so diligent and so studious, God, that the way he was going about it wasn't going to last, and people weren't going to be taken care of. So I'm so grateful that you sent Jethro, um, his father-in-law, who had the courage to speak up and to say uh, what he what, say what he saw. He saw it so clearly; it was so obvious to him. And we're thankful that Moses was willing to take his advice. And God, as we think about our lives, and we think about the things that we're carrying, God, help us to have the courage to not lay down the things that are ours. Help us to have the courage, God, to lay down the things that somebody else needs to carry. And then also, God, give us the wisdom uh, to know how to, to partner with others to get things done. We do want to take advantage, God, of these opportunities that come disguised as responsibilities. So we can grow into the people that you've called us to be. And we can make a difference in our families, in our workplaces, and in our community. It's in Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen.